What up, butt touchers? Thanks for listening and checking us out this week and leaving us those five-star reviews. New episodes of the show go up every Wednesday at noon, available on all your favorite podcast platforms. For a full list, visit anchor.fm slash don't touch the butt. For news and updates about the show, visit our Facebook page. That's facebook.com slash podcast. And you can find me, your producer, Dylan, on Twitter and on twitch.tv slash DylanSoVillain. You guys can also help support the show by checking out some of the adult toys and personal care products our host Deborah has available via Pure Romance. That's pureromance.com slash Deborah Wilson. All of the links will be in the episode description for you guys to click on and check out. But now, let's get to the butt touching. Welcome to the Don't Touch the Butt podcast, a weekly dive into two new topics with your host, Deborah and Steve. Whose butt are we touching this week? Let's find out. Well, here we are, episode whatever the hell we are. Nine. Nine. Okay, I'm glad you're keeping count because I'm sure as hell not. I was. It's ten. The uh, same difference. You know what? Fine. Hey, Dylan. Episode ten, motherfuckers. Not what I was going for, but okay. Hey, Dylan. Steve. Where did little Jimmy go after he wandered into a minefield? I don't know. Everywhere. <laughs> Man, that's fucked up. Yeah. Why would you say that? Because it's fucking hilarious. (laughs) Hence my laughter. And it's dark humor, which we all love here. Yeah. Yeah, That's pretty dark. But it got really bright there for a second. (laughs) (laughs) That is great. That was great. Dark humor's like food. Not everybody gets it. Very true. I'm probably going to hell for that one. Probably, but it's okay. All the fun people are there. That's very true. Listeners, if uh, if you laughed, let us know. If you thought that was horrifically inappropriate, definitely let us know so I can add more in. <laughs> I'm letting you know that was pretty bad. <laughs> so just a afterthought, maybe you need to be... Pe- 13 or older to listen to this. Nah. With the number... All right, let's think about how much the average 13-year-old swears these days. Okay, eight, but I'm pretty sure that the rating guideline is still PG-13. Probably, but with the number of times we say fuck on this podcast... Like I said. Fuck! Exactly. 13. Uh, You know what? I'm not going to say we're NC-17 because we do cover some appropriate topics here, but... No, but we do delve into some R-rated departments on a lot of things. That's why it's parental guidance. That's just regular PG. Remember, Beetlejuice got a PG rating and it has an F-bomb in it. Or PG-13, one of the two. Either way, not R. Cue cricket sounds here! Did he do it? I don't know. We're going to have to find out in post. (laughs) 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 All right. We ready to dive into this? Grab some butts? Yep. Let's touch the butt. Seems good. Dylan!
Touch the butt. Episode number 10. Holy shit, dude. Wow, we've actually been doing this for like almost three months, man. Yeah, it's disturbing, isn't it? Yeah. That we've actually been able to keep up with something this fucking long. Yeah, because I usually quit after it gets started. Yeah, so that's that's why Dylan's the producer and our designated adult. Yeah, because I'm not... I start stuff, I don't finish stuff. That that sounds perverted. <laughs> Only because you took it that way. Hey. Oh, there's just a lot of random stuff around the house. <laughs> yeah. What's this? I don't know. It, we never finished it. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. Okay, well, I'm glad things haven't changed yet. So this is another single topic episode, guys. So again, tell us what you think. Because, you know, if you don't tell us, we don't know what you think. And we're just going to be shouting into the void. Yeah, pretty much. And that's just an existential crisis we all three have all the time. Cacao, motherfucker! Except for Dylan. So that makes two of us. Yes. Not all three. Yes, the designated adult is the least mature. Yeah, it's kind of how it works. Usually. Look at Walmart. (laughs) Okay, so Richard Feynman. Dick Feynman. Mm -hmm. This dick. This dick. Part of, now, here's the fun bit. A lot of people call him the third member of the Holy Trinity of 20th century physicists. All right. Albert Einstein, Stephen Hawking, and Richard Feynman. And I heard about him in history class, did not know nearly as much as I do now, which is still a hell whole of a lot, not a lot. Well, there's so much to know. And the other thing is, like, at least for my research, I didn't exactly focus on the physics end of things. Yeah, I kind of started out focusing on his, like, childhood and then going into his young adulthood, and then I was like, sleep. (laughs) So this is going to get real interesting. Okay, so um, let's see. Here's the Feynman problem-solving algorithm, as some of his fellow physicists used to say. You ready? Mm -hmm. Step one, write down the problem. Okay. Step two, think very hard. (laughs) Okay. Step number three. Write down the answer. Wow. <laughs> that man's a genius, literally. Well, genius! Well, here's the thing to think about. He took an IQ test more than once, and he only had about a 125. Yeah. But that's because his language skills were mm, kind of shaky. But he kicked math's ass. Yeah. Which, and he was a late talker. He didn't start talking until he was at, over the age of three. Mm-hmm. Which was kind of worrisome. Yeah. And even then, language was still occasionally a bit of fun for him. Uh, One, I think it was a college course, he was doing feline anatomy for whatever reason. And he. I'm more into like physiological anatomy. Really? I figured you'd like looking for men in boats. (laughs) But uh, he was asking for a map of the cat map of the cat no he meant an anatomical chart but eh, well, a, a, you know. a direct and simple way of getting it across yeah so then that that would actually characterize him basically through everything yeah like it's also very interesting he spoke with a very thick new york accent mm-hmm. even though both his parents were actually from minsk and they were Ju- they were of jewish descent they weren't mm-hmm. practicing jews thusly so By the time Feynman was a child, he said, nope, I'm an atheist. Mm -hmm. And he even went on record a couple of times saying, agnostic? No, that's me waffling. I'm an atheist. Yeah. 
which I thought was, you know, props on him. Yeah, like after he won the Nobel Prize, um, some lady was wanting to interview him for a book about Nobel, Jewish Nobel Prize winners. And he was like, fuck no, I'm an atheist. Yeah. And he probably said it just like that. No, he didn't usually drop F-bombs, well, at least from what I've been able to put together. Because I actually listened to some of the interview tapes. Yeah. Um, yeah, there is a very thick New York accent there. Yeah, real thick. So since uh, you got halfway through his childhood and stopped, and then I picked up at 1943, basically, um, there's going to be a few gaps in there. So sorry, guys. Sorry. Not sorry. I slept and I was wonderful. <laughs> Off you go. Okay. So he was like, his. as I said, he was born, uh, or as was stated, I didn't say that. He was... But he was born on May 11th, 1918, right close to my birthday, only like a million years before I was born. Minor details. Uh, <laughs> so uh, his mom was Lucille Phillips and his dad was Melvin Arthur Feynman. And again, they were originally from Minsk. He didn't really start talking until after the age of three. Mm-hmm. And it was with a heavy accent. And... His parents were really indulgent mm. of him uh, as a child. And, like, he had a chemistry set set up in his kitchen. And his dad really encouraged him to ask mm. questions and, like, be out there and, like, th- question orthodox thinking, mm-hmm. which is what he did. And so around the age of five, mm-hmm. he had a little baby brother born. I did not write down his baby brother's name. That's okay. And because he died, which is very sad. But also depressingly common at that point because yes. this was 1923, I guess. So. Yeah. So it was still very common. We're in the throes of uh, the Roaring Twenties. Mm-hmm. So right before the Depression hit, so life's all rainbows and sunshine except for those... Who aren't. Yeah. Um, and then not when he's nine, he's get, he has a baby sister. Mm-hmm. And even though the two are very uh, widely age-ranged, mm-hmm. they are very close emotionally, mm-hmm. and they form a great bond together. And he's all, like, it's always stated that he was, like, the best big brother. And his mom, fun fact, uh, she did not think that women had a mental capacity mm-hmm. for, like, book learning. Mm-hmm. And... But she was more than happy to indulge her daughter's interest in as- in astrology, mm-hmm. astronomy. Well, astronomy is gazing up at the planets. Astrology is new age stuff for women with bangs. Thanks. <laughs> Cocksucker. Nope. I'm a Scorpio. <laughs> astronomy, that's the one I'm looking for. Yep. And then that's about where I went to bed. Okay. So... So he's like nine, and then we skip through high school. We're actually going to take a couple of pit stops along the way. Oh, look at you. You did much better than me. Well, there's only a couple of really quick ones. Um, So in the 30s, nobody had money. Yeah. But everybody listened to radio because there basically wasn't TV. Yeah, and he would actually fix radios, and Mm -hmm. he started doing that when he was, like, Mm -hmm. school age. That's actually kind of the story I was leaning into. He uh, accidentally made his own crystal set when he was, like, 12. Yeah. So he was picking up an AM station from another city over that was playing a radio drama about half an hour ahead of time. 
before where his local AM station was playing it. Mm-hmm. So he'd listen to it on this staticky little crystal AM radio and then be walking around and this go, you know, we haven't heard from so-and-so in a while. <laughs> um, but the other one uh, that was fun for me and where the uh, the stubbornness kind of kicks in, he uh, radios in those days were really cleanly labeled. Like if the wax had melted, you had a capacitor that was going too high, the tubes hadn't warmed, you know, any number of other things. Yeah. So adults kept bringing him their radios. And he'd fix them, and it was relatively straightforward. One day an adult brought him and said, well, these there's this uh, noise. It's a real small background noise. And he's going, all right, fine. Turn on the, get the tubes warming, get it going, and it's going. <laughs> <laughs> so... Feynman's going, okay, it's more than a little. (laughs) (laughs) Unplugs it, starts thinking about it, and the guy's going, why aren't you doing something? I am. And he's just pacing, thinking, 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 reaches in there, does two things, closes it, fixed it. And the uh, adult made it such a big thing. You got to meet this kid. He fixes radios with his brain. (laughs) 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 Which. Which I thought was glorious. All right, Jimmy Neutron, everybody. <laughs> <laughs> so you scared the cat. She run away. She'll be back. She loves us. Yeah, she always comes in here to make noise, even when we don't touch her butt. Yeah, she likes to go meow. Because the cat that all that's always in here is the one that's on the picture for the podcast. Yes, and she's adorable. Okay, so picking up in uh, 1943. Uh, Feynman is um, actively recruited for the Manhattan Project by Robert Oppenheimer. Oh, yeah. The uh, the father of the atomic bomb there. And Feynman picked up and moved out to Los Alamos, which is still an active nuclear research facility today. Um, he was assigned to the theoretical division headed by Hans Beth. Um, and then they created, Feynman and Beth, created the uh, Beth-Feynman formula to calculate atomic yields. Okay. Like, there, this is groundbreaking research that he's just kind of dicking around in because he's one of the low-level guys. Yeah. Um, he was in the lead division. He led the division of human computers. And there was also, there was also punch card computers there, too, but it just took time and forever. And they, what they were initially doing at Los Alamos, they were feeding it in one problem, go until it's solved, then feed in the next one. Feynman saw that it actually divvied up into four sections. Yeah. So instead of doing them in series, he started doing them in parallel. So suddenly we have all these complex equations. Instead of coming in at a rate of one a month, they're coming in at one a week. Oh. Which led to some problems because there was a an incident where he they needed you've got it down to a week. We got to have this calculation soon. And Feynman has to explain no, any individual calculation still takes a month. (laughs) Um. Which was actually kind of funny. Um, and then while there, um, Niles Bohr, who created the common model, at least for most of the 20th century, of atomic structure. Yeah. Um, often sought him out for one-on-one discussions because Feynman was the only person at Los Alamos who didn't worship him and wasn't afraid to argue with him. Oh, well, damn. Mm-hmm. But they, um, they were never really friends because once Feynman got rolling, he kind of forgot most of the social niceties. Uh, yeah. Perks of being autistic, because he probably was. Well, I mean, he was 
all all buffoon and all genius. Um, at this point, he's married to his first wife, Arlene, who's dying of tuberculosis. Yeah. Um, moved her to Albuquerque. Um, and while he's at Los Alamos, while she's in the hospital, he basically has to make security arrangements and borrow cars. And it's a whole big thing. Yeah. Um, so since he can't always get off the base and he's occasionally bored and bored smart people are dangerous. Uh, yeah. He turned into an amateur safe cracker and lock picker. Yeah. Um, he, uh, and it was honestly like, eh, I'm going to try to pass the time. And he kind of asked into a couple of ways of cracking safes. Um, and then was using social engineering to solve some of the conversation combinations like, okay, this person is this sort of physicist. Why do they have pi written down? What's the log of pi? Martin Murr? Okay, let's try that combination. Hey! Yeah. And it worked. Uh, just like the lock picking. It's like, eh, while well, we're here and, oh, hey. So suddenly he's this guy who can get into anything. Like he was leaving notes in the safes before they found out it was him. Ah! That's funny. And it caused this massive security panic because they thought they had a spy. No. <laughs> in reality, it was just a poor genius. Uh, and, well, in reality, and the sad part is the notes he was leaving were basically glorified versions of, I was here. <laughs> That's it. Um, Arlene would die on June the 16th of 1945 uh, of her tuberculosis. Yay, consumption. Mm -hmm. By the way, that's not cake. That's just tuberculosis. <laughs> um, he was actually probably the only person to actually see the Trinity nuclear test without welder's goggles or really dark glasses. Oh, wow. Mm -hmm. The UV shielding that's on windshields. Mm -hmm. um, Feynman figured that the dangerous part was of the blast wasn't the, wasn't the brightness. Your yeah. eyes can adjust and adapt and, you know, it'll take a minute, but they'll be fine. Because, you know, camera flashes, for instance. Yeah. But the worry is the UV rays, which is what the glasses and the welder's goggles were designed to block. So he basically sits in the passenger seat of a Jeep facing where the blast is. Ah. And he had no ill effects other than he had a purple splotch in his vision for a while. Oh, but wow. That, but that went away. Yeah. So he, with the naked eye, saw a nuclear explosion. That is cool. Mm -hmm. And um, lived to tell the tale. Yeah. That's kind of the important part. Okay, so the war is still ongoing. Uh, he left Los Alamos in October of 1945 uh, for Cornell, basically at the recommendation of Beth. Um, he was actually at this point still eligible to be drafted yeah, because the war was still ongoing. The draft board said he had a mental illness and gave him a 4F exemption. Yep. Um, while he was at Cornell, um, he saw a dinner plate kind of being tossed around. Uh, in the cafeteria and started working on the physics of a twirling, nutating wobbles, but more involved disc as it goes through the air. Like he would see things and go, hey, look, how does that work? And just dive at it. So he basically watched the invention of the Frisbee. Mm -hmm. I was thinking UFO. Pretty much. Um, <laughs> the... Uh, he was really, he was published basically from the word go at Cornell, but his stuff was basically cited from 1950, like constantly onwards. Yeah. Um, and he was really, really restless at Cornell. He hated the winters. He wanted a warmer climate. Um, while he was there, um, he would, in no particular order, date undergraduates, hired hookers, and slept with his friends' wives, usually consensually. 
Damn. Yeah. So maybe when you were in school, you were trying to be Richard Feynman. <laughs> He's my hero. One of them, anyway. But that, uh, I'm not quite as... I don't have the same drive. Mm, I say that hard, That drive is pretty hard to come by. Mm, there is that. Um, he had a scheduled sabbatical uh, from 1951 to 1952, which was a common thing for professors at the time. Yeah. Um, so he moved to Brazil. All right. He had spent some time there earlier and had learned Portuguese, although mm-hmm. he was apparently spoken with a horrific accent. <laughs> um, but he actually gave courses in physics in Brazil at the, uh, I didn't write down the Portuguese because I would butcher it. Okay. And this is coming from someone who's trying to learn Welsh. Um, the Brazilian Center for Physics Research. Oh, cool. But much to his chagrin, the students there weren't really using the information. They were just regurgitating it. Oh, that's... Um, Sounds like American public school. Well, he hated rote learning. um, And the textbooks that they were using really had no context for the formulas or applications in the real world. So it didn't actually mean anything. Okay. It's like, look at this formula. It does this. And it's, you know, force equals mass times acceleration. Well, that doesn't mean a damn thing if you don't understand that how hard something hits is based on how heavy it is and how fast it's moving. Yeah, it still sounds like American public school. Mm. Um, I think my favorite uh, story, although this is from when he was in college, he had a French curve um, for whatever reason. Um, And he told his he told the other undergrads, hey, guys, guess what? I discovered something amazing. Mm -hmm. Every point on the French curve is tangent to the horizon. Okay, now for those of you keeping score at home, the horizon is flat. Any single point on a curve is going to be tangent. Yep. They weren't getting that because it wasn't something they thought of. Yeah. I can I can dig that. Mm-hmm. Um, while he was in Brazil, um, he actually was fascinated by samba music. Uh, so he learned to play the frigidera, uh, which is a percussion instrument based upon frying pans, of all things. Uh, is that why it's called a frigidera? <sighs> <laughs> well, I'm, uh, the Portuguese for frying pan is somewhere close to it, Frigidera, oh. so. Okay, you totally missed the joke. Yeah, I know. I'm good at those some days. Yeah. Um, but he also learned the bongos and the conga drums while he was down there. So he's a autistic man with rhythm. A little bit, yeah, and he'd also play them for musicals. <laughs> yes, really. That um, is funny. One of his gleeful comments um, was to say, you know, whenever I'm called upon in public to play the bongo drums, the introducer never seems to mention the fact that I do theoretical physics. <laughs> um, at the age of 44, he's uh, he uh, started dr- learning how to draw in 1962 at the age of 44. And again, I'm kind of bouncing around in the timeline. Yeah. Just because, hey, random fun shit. Because there's so, so much of it. Yeah. Um, started in 1962, various media on paper. So ink, watercolor, pencil, any number of things. Um, he started selling them under the pseudonym Ofey, O-F-E-Y. At this, because he didn't want people to buy it because, oh, physicist guy did this. It was, I bought this because I like it. So he's using yeah. the pseudonym Ofey to hide it. Um, the French suggested Ofey in French, A-U space F-A-I-T, which translates to, it's done. 
Uh, yeah. Feynman went, uh, anglicized it basically, um, and then discovered later that that was a mild slur used by blacks against whites. <laughs> that is hilarious. And when he found out, he said, well, I'm white. Yeah. <laughs> uh, jumping back uh, to 1952, uh, he married his second wife, Mary Louise Bell. Um, that was not a good marriage. Uh, the divorce was finalized in 1958, and they'd been separated for four years at that point. All right. Yeah, lots of fun. Well, I think that being married to Feynman would be hard. Um, probably, but... Because he sounds like he's also a raging sex addict. Uh, well, that's kind of where you get into, like, a lot of the biographies. Like, Arlene's death really screwed him up. Yeah. Like, he, he loved that woman. Like, and... To such a degree. Yeah. And losing her, when she died, he just pour, he just poured himself into the work, just full throttle. Yeah. And, like, it, he still kind of lost it, and he had that kind of loneliness bit, which is why he got married again. Yeah. And then it was such a clusterfuck that it's like, maybe not. Hmm. Um, when Sputnik was launched in 1961, uh, he was very actively considered because his physics was so well known at this point for a seat on the president's science advisory committee, but he wasn't appointed. Oh yeah. Someone sent a letter to our old buddy, J Edgar Hoover and naming him a major security risk and possible communist. Ah, because of the safe cracking bit. Uh, no, we don't know who sent the letter. It's speculated that it was probably Mary bell. Oh gosh. Yeah. That is a bad divorce, but he's, he may not be the letter. Uh, I don't remember exact quotes and I didn't write them down. So for those of you with the advantage of Google right now, yell at me now. But he's he may not be he may not be a communist, but he definitely has communist sympathies. And when he gets a goal in mind, nothing will stop him. Yeah, it was a brutal letter. Oh, gosh, that's. Mm hmm. Well, I can dig it. Mm hmm. Um, at this point, he. um Excuse me. He had moved to Caltech by this point, mm -hmm. uh, the California Institute of Technology. I didn't write down when he left uh, Cornell, although I imagine it was probably in the mid or late 50s. Yeah. Yeah. I did had good notes, too, because I was a pinball going, hey, fun story, fun story. <laughs> it's okay. Keeps things interesting. We can't yeah. always do a great job on every episode. <laughs> yeah. Uh, he married his third wife, Gwyneth uh, Howarth, in 1960. Okay. Uh, they would stay married until he died. Oh. Uh, they had two children, a son, Carl, who was born in 1962, and then adopted a daughter, Michelle, uh, in 1968. Way to go, Feynman. Mm -hmm. Yeah, pro-adoption. I like him. Yeah, he was very, he was a very doting father, but kind of reserved. Yeah. But basically every resource I say, say, if you question this man loving his kids, I'm going to kick your ass. <laughs> um. It was glor it was glorious. Um, from there, um, he actually tried marijuana and ketamine. Oh, uh, at the sensory deprivation tanks uh, of John Lilly, so he could study consciousness. Yeah. Um, so these sensory deprivation tanks—that's really you're basically floating naked in saline. Yeah. In a half dome that's just 
completely dark. Yeah. And is effectively soundproof. Yep. Yeah, I could not do that. Um, and you're not in there for very long. Yeah, I just, I couldn't do the floating. Yeah. Like, mm-hmm. nope. <laughs> the problem is you don't actually have to work to float in this salt water. It's just like you lie in it and you don't even move and you're floating. It's amazing. Like, it's more of the fact that I'm in water and there's something underneath and I didn't. Yeah, underneath the water is the ground. I mean, they're not heavy. The The tank entrance is only about waist high. And there's basically enough water for you to let your arms drag down a little bit and still not touch the bottom. That's about it. Like, I don't think I can do it mm. still. I actually haven't uh, tried it, although I think it would be fun. I think it sounds creepy as fuck. Why not both? Um, he actually uh, was a legit drinker until um, he started showing early signs of alcoholism and he just stopped drinking. Um explicitly saying he didn't want to do anything to damage his brain well mm-hmm. um, he was actually fascinated with hallucinations and hallucinogens but there's no record of him ever trying LSD probably wanted to keep that shit quiet uh, no this is California in the 60s okay it it would have been okay um, and jumping back you're talking about him being a sex fiend it was actually alleged more than once that he was sexist well yeah. Um, but there's no evidence for it. Well, well just judging by, from the time that he was born in. Yeah. I mean, there's allegations of him being sexist. Yes, he used hookers. But every, every sex act he did, based on all the research, was completely consensual amongst adults. Yeah. Um, although he very explicitly stated that, yes, women are discriminated against and receive prejudice in the field of physics. Yes. So he straight up owned that shit. But he himself... There's no real proof that he really was a sexist. Yeah. Um, now we're going to come on to the uh, the Feynman lectures on physics. This is a hundred and some odd hours of him lecturing on the most up-to-date physics at the time. Uh, they were done from 1961 to 1963. Oh, my gosh. Oh, my gosh. Mm-hmm. That is just so... Like, that makes me just like... Well, here's, this, here's the fun bit. Um... He said he would only teach it once. Meh. Like, I'll do it. I'm only doing it once. So they taped every lecture and meticulously drew every diagram he put up on the board. And that right. actually created a three-volume textbook, which is still a very legitimate college-level intro to physics. Oh, wow. That's really cool. Yeah, even you know, a large number of years later, 60 years later, it's still applicable. That's really cool. Mm-hmm. Like, that's fucking fascinating. Yeah. The lectures themselves are actually available for free online. Cool. I will uh. not utilize that tool. <laughs> well, I mean, you might be you might be able to use them as a sleep aid. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. But Learn physics through osmosis. I don't think that's how that works, Dylan. That's how I learned Harry Potter. Okay. I know, like, I know almost every book pretty close to verbatim and that's because i listened to them every night for 10 years and which potter house are you slitherclaw slitherclaw for the win motherfuckers hells yeah dylan what house are you ravenclaw i feel like that's a lie i feel like that's a lie too i think he's a definitely not but (laughs) 
I feel like he's a badger. Yeah, me too. I think that's why my home is called the Burrow. <laughs> um, so Feynman was jumping again. Pinball episode. Welcome to the fun. Um, he very explicitly hated rote learning or unthinking memorization. Yeah. Um, the two things to talk to him were clear thinking and clear presentation. Yeah. He did not suffer fools. And he would remember and woe unto the one who came to him unprepared. Oh, gosh, that would be me every time. Mm-hmm. And he would remember people going, all right, did you come prepared this time? And I'd be like, nope, you know what you're getting. Yep. <laughs> um, so, again, there was, I, I didn't, I couldn't find the year uh, relatively easily, but the California State Curriculum Commission asked him to review a textbook that they were going to be using. Um, it was a math book. Okay. He didn't like it. I would gather not. At all. Um, there are all these wonderful, interesting things that they're teaching that nobody actually fucking uses. Yeah. Like, why are we teaching all these things, things, things? Nobody outside of a university professor knows how to do this stuff. Yeah. Business isn't using it. They're using this. Physics sure as hell isn't using it. I know this. <laughs> yeah. Um, and just ripped the book up one down the other. They actually ended up using that book for a little while before they changed. Well, some some people have to learn from their own experience. Absolutely. I am one of those people. Okay, so uh, in 1979, a magazine entitled Omni named him the world's smartest man. All right. That's not... Um, what's the reverse of humbling? Ego inflating? Yeah. Well, I don't think we had to worry about that because his mother, uh, Lucille, on hearing the news said, if that's the world's smartest man, God help us. <laughs> Good mom. Mm-hmm. Um, the autobiography uh, that I was referencing that was taped uh, was released in 1985. Uh, it was called Surely You're Joking, Mr. Feynman. And again, didn't really focus on the physics, just the stories of. Yeah. I mean, if you really want to learn about the physics he did, read the Nobel paper from 1963. Read the Feynman lectures on physics read there's some other stuff to read but those are the two that i kind of want to like you want to learn the physics this is the physics like ugh, that's just physics mm -hmm. so but again we're talking about the man's a nobel prize winner in 1963 and we're talking about the fact that he played bongos yeah. um there are stories at caltech of him taking students papers to a topless bar and graded them there yeah I mean, just sitting there, bebopping along, grading physics papers. Meanwhile, naked women. Just hey, walking hey, around. Makes, makes the meticulous part of the job a little bit easier. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, to, he was so well known at one particular place that he didn't name that if he walked in, if he took his time, they would have a drink waiting for him at a specific table. All right. Yeah. Um. So... The biggest thing, and this is where I met him, actually, is where I first got introduced to Feynman was the Challenger disaster. Yeah. All right. So the the space shuttle Challenger exploded uh, 73 seconds after liftoff on January 28th, 1986. Uh, President Reagan um, commissioned uh, the Rogers Commission mm -hmm. 
to investigate exactly what happened. Um, Feynman, who had been diagnosed with cancer in 1978, which is something I'm coming back to, um, didn't really want to do it. Um, then his wife said, look, if you don't go, they're going to get someone else. And it's going to be 12 people going to the same place, looking at the same things, as opposed to 11 people going to the same place and looking at the same things and you going wherever that leads you. Yeah. So he'd like, okay. <laughs> um, he was the only member of the commission not to balk at possibly blaming NASA. Oh, wow. Like every other member, like Neil Armstrong was on it, a former secretary of state. Who, yeah. Mr. Rod, um, William Rogers, he, the former secretary of state was on it. None of the others was willing to even entertain the possibility that NASA screwed up. Yeah. Feynman was the only one. I could dig it. Um, the biggest team, and they televised a lot of the hearings. Mm-hmm. Um, the most, the the viral moment uh, from 1986 uh, was when Feynman pulled an O-ring out of a glass of water, compressed it with a pair of pliers, and let go, and the O-ring didn't expand. Oh. Like a very visceral, physical dis- demonstration of the of what happened. Yeah. Um, for those of you who don't know, here's a short version. The Challenger was launched in weather that was way too cold. The solid rocket boosters on the side mm-hmm. um, had sections that were sealed by O-rings that were supposed to contract and expand based on the plate shivering. Yeah. It was too cold for the O-rings, so one compressed, the plate mm-hmm. shifted back up, the O-ring didn't come back up, fuel started spilling, hit the flame, yeah. and then slammed right back up and then went boom. That's the short version. Um, actually, during a, t- a break on one, commi- on one hearing, uh, Commission Chairman William Rogers, the former Secretary of State, actually told Neil Armstrong, um, Feynman's becoming a pain in the ass. <laughs> Um, Feynman actually had his own independent appendix in the report that was written by him. It's some amazing reading. Like, it's not even dry. I will take your word on that (laughs) because sleep. I understand. (laughs) But um, it's a very interesting read because there's no math there. Yeah. It's like, it's a social thing. It's, he's not even doing, he does one equation because he has to define what the odds are. Okay. Outside of that, it's pure sociology. Ooh, that does sound interesting. It is delicious. It is Appendix F, Personal Observations on Reliability of Shuttle. Um, And he fought so hard for this that he actually threatened to not sign off on the report unless they included it. Oh, wow. Good on him. Mm-hmm. Because it was that important to him. Yeah. Um, so, going back to that cancer he was diagnosed with, in 1978, uh, he had abdominal pains. Mm-hmm. Uh, and was diagnosed with liposarcoma, which is just soft tissue cancer. Okay. Um, they surgically removed a tumor from him the size of a football. Ow. Uh, that, Holy shit. That had crushed one kidney and his spleen. Oh, my goodness. Um, he had two further operations uh, in October, actually, consecutive Octobers, 86 and 87. Uh, he was hospitalized at the UCLA Medical Center on February 3rd of 1988 um, with kidney failure. Yeah, I can see why. Mm-hmm. Um, they offered him dialysis, but basically said, this will just make you live longer. 
Yeah. So he said, no. Um, and he, he even had a very dry observation about it. I'd hate to die twice. It's so boring. Ah. Uh, he would eventually die the day after Valentine's Day, 1988. All right. Mm-hmm. Um, then I have a fistful of Feynman quotes um, that really kind of encapsulate the man as best I can. Okay. Uh, here's the first one. I cannot define the real problem. Therefore, I suspect there's no real problem. But I'm not sure that there's no real problem. <laughs> nice. <laughs> I swear I've said that before, and they told me I was dumb. (laughs) (laughs) Well, you did go to school in Florida. Um, The uh, the next one. The real problem in speech isn't precise language. It's clear language. Yes. Um, It is impossible to say anything with absolute precision unless it's so abstracted from the real, real world as to not represent any real thing. Again, I can dig it. Mm-hmm. Um, the first principle is that you must not fool yourself, and you are the easiest person to fool. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Look what drugs did to me. Mm. Me too. <laughs> um, uh, I like this one. We are not to tell nature what she ought to be. Um, yeah. Um, this is a num- This is another one that I'm actually a really big fan of. Scientific knowledge. Excuse me. Scientific knowledge is enabling power to do either good or bad, but it does not carry instructions on how to use it. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, this is from Appendix F, from the Challenger. Yeah. Okay. I was on board. So this is why I say that it's a really good read. The fact that this danger did not lead to a catastrophe before is no guarantee that it will not the next time unless it is completely understood. When playing Russian roulette, the fact that the first shot got off safely is little comfort for the next. (laughs) (laughs) Love it. I mean, just lit into them. And like I said, that's basically the entire tone of the appendix. It is an amazing read. Um, And again, from Appendix F, for a, and this is one of the most pop, the last bits, the most commonly quoted Feynman quote. Uh, For successful technology, reality must take precedence over public relations, for nature cannot be fooled. And those last four words are basically the most common thing you'll see for a Richard Feynman quote. Yeah. Um, And then the last quote that Feynman said I've got is, I learned very early the difference between knowing the name of something and knowing something. Oh, yeah. I mean, like that, that got me on on a level. Yeah. That's deep. Mm-hmm. For a man who wasn't great with words, he was good with words. But again, this comes back to that really straightforward, clear com- style of communication he had. Remember, I need a map of the cat. Yes. You know, a three-year-old. I got the anatomy of some pussy. Oh, my God, Dylan. <sighs> my brain hurts. <laughs> yeah, my brain hurts, too. So I'll give one last quote, and this one is about Richard Feynman. Okay. By one of the fellow scientists on the uh, Manhattan Project, Freeman Dyson. Okay. Feynman is the young American professor, half genius and half buffoon, who keeps all physicists and their children amused with his effervescent vitality. Skipping a bit. 
A truer description would have said Feynman is all genius and all buffoon. The deep thinking and joyful clowning were not separate parts of a split personality. He did not do his thinking on Monday and his clowning on Tuesday. He was thinking and clowning simultaneously. Uh, I like that. Like, that's, that's Richard Feynman in a nutshell. Yeah. You know, bongo player, Nobel Prize in theoretical physics. Born Jew, not a real Jew as far as he is concerned. He denounced religion at a young age. Wow. I thought that was really interesting. I just go back to a line of a show I saw um, where somebody was trying to date someone else's daughter or something and uh, trying to make himself look unattractive. He said, well, because it's a Jewish family. He goes, well, I'm an atheist. And the woman fires back with, so are a lot of Jews I know. Yeah. (laughs) So an interesting man, a very curious man. Yes. With a very interesting outlook on life, just constant wonder and discovery. Yep, and that's something that his dad tried very hard to instill in him from a very young age. Mm -hmm. And his mom tried to instill that humor in him, Mm -hmm. that it's important to always be able to laugh. So that was Mm -hmm. definitely... And the fact that he was stubborn as hell... Yes. uh, ...probably didn't hurt matters. Uh, He once made a comment that if you give me a puzzle, I'm going to keep at it until I solve the damn thing. Yep. I'm like, yeah. I am not that. <laughs> nope. If I get stuck on a puzzle, I'll grind on it. But I actually have to want to solve it. Yeah. Like you gave him any puzzle, he'd be on it. Give me one. I have to be kind of interested. Yeah. Yep. So that uh, we have touched Richard Feynman's butt. All right. 32 years after he died. Learning all kinds of physics in the strip club, baby. Woo! Well, Not really, but okay. I, I don't know. As they swing around the bar, you can start talking about centrifugal force. Yeah, I guess. <laughs> so that uh, about covers that. You want got anything else you want to add? I think I'm ready to go back to bed. I understand. I'm going to regret this question. Mm-hmm. Dylan, do you have anything useful you want to add? Nah. <laughs> Didn't think so. Play the thing! Touch the butt. All right, so that was a good session, right? Yeah, always. Dylan, was that a good session? Yeah, it was pretty good. Okay, is it going to be an easy one to edit? You guys are never easy to edit, like, to be honest. (laughs) It's always pretty rough. Fine, then the next episode, we're just going to be talking like William Shatner the whole episode. Fuck! (laughs) 